Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. Del, maybe give us a kickstart about your history and, and what got you excited about finance? It's interesting. I mean, when I was at university, I did a, a double major, so finance and marketing. So at that stage, I didn't know which direction I wanted to go in. I guess it was when I got a, a graduate role in, in a finance company down in Wellington and rotating around the different divisions there, it became very clear to me that asset management was an area that excited me. I was just really interested in challenging and learning my learning a lot of new things. So I started in a in a role there and that in New Zealand, that kind of a couple of different roles in New Zealand before I went over to London and got a job with Picta Asset Management. Uh, it was pretty good timing uh, there. I started up a risk management function. Um, it was just, I started in the performance measurement team, but they needed someone to, to get involved in risk management. And that's certainly an area I was interested in. I returned um, after five years, came back to New Zealand, and I've worked in a couple of different roles. I guess my career has gone sideways and around um, not the linear career path that, that some people that some people take. And it's it's quite funny. I was actually I'd had my second child and was on the side of a soccer field when I was really looking to get back into work. And I was just having a conversation with a friend who said New Zealand Super Fund were needing someone to do a maternity cover, and I I knew finance, so why didn't I go and have a coffee and, and catch up? So that led to my role. A one-year contract at the Super Fund. That was ten years ago now. Well, time time flies very quickly. And was the first role? What what were you doing at New Zealand Super? That was back when New Zealand Super actually were operating a strategic asset allocation. We had a private equity team and a private real estate team. So I rotated across both of those teams, um, providing support where needed. And it was maybe a year or two into that where we we implemented our new investment framework. So yeah, I've seen the seen the transition from SAA model through to a more opportunistic way of investing and you know a couple of restructures to align the team, you know, in line in line with that new way of investing. Mm-hmm. Well now your role is the head of external investments and partnerships at New Zealand Superfund. That's a it's a very big big role. Um, I'm curious to get a bit of background in terms of what does that mean to New Zealand Super? Right. So our investment team is split into roughly into two big key areas for our value-add activities. So we have a direct team. I do all of our direct deals um, into companies. And my team are involved in anything that involves an external manager in New Zealand and around the world. So we have a, a very broad portfolio. We currently manage 33 um, or 34 manager relationships, but 54 mandates. Very broad, so covering listed and unlisted mandates anything from factors to merger arbitrage through to renewable development platforms in, in Europe and in the US. So, yeah, we the team is involved in selecting managers in, in doing the diligence in terms of, you know, implementing uh, a mandate and then also monitoring the investment over the life of the investment. So we use our conviction framework for that. Okay. Maybe give a bit of context around the fund as well. Uh, I think some people have a bit of an idea about the long-term vision of the fund. Maybe give a bit of context of the fund and so we can then get a feel for how these external uh, partners play into the the broader fund. Sure. I mean, the super fund uh, was set up to smooth out the increase in cost 
of universal superannuation in New Zealand. So it's a sovereign wealth fund. We are a very long-term, growth-oriented global investment fund. Looking at the ticker this morning, we're sitting at $58.8 billion, and we're projected to grow until the fund peaks in its in size in the 19, sorry, in the 2070s, I should say. Mm-hmm. So we have no outflows. We did have some contributions from government, but there's been a significant amount of investment growth that's contributed to the, to the $58 billion we're managing today. We're responsible on you know, investing the fund on a prudent and commercial basis. So there are three really you know, key legs to our um, mandate to best practice portfolio management, maximizing return without undue risk to the fund as a whole, and avoiding prejudice to New Zealand's reputation as a responsible member of the world community. So that mandate drives everything we do. And, and as you then think about the individual manager stable that you have, you mentioned 34 manager relationships. That's that's quite a lot, but maybe probably not that many when you think about some of the Australian super funds. What actually was a driver of, of those relationships? Yeah, you mentioned some of the particular areas that you're looking for in terms of merger ARB, some renewable uh, platforms. You know, what specifically were you looking for as you, as you took on these uh, manager relationships? Well, any new manager is appointed uh, after we've identified, I guess, a starting point is the opportunity that we want to be investing in. Then we, you know, we do a you know a search to get to find the right manager for the opportunity. Once a manager is appointed, what's really important is, I guess, the knowledge sharing potential that they can um, they can provide as well. So we have a manager segmentation plan. We feel that there's a lot, you know, we want to adopt a fewer deeper manager approach. And what that means to me is we identify managers that are of strategic value in terms of the breadth of their capability, but also the breadth of their knowledge in terms of willing and willingness to engage with us. We've got some really good examples of, of managers that have provided you know, really a lot of value to us. And one that really stands out is, is um, Bridgewater. I mean, they take, they've really taken the time to understand our investment framework and they've put a lot of thought into thinking how they can help us. So the interaction with between their team and, and NZ Super is much broader than just my team. It involves the CIO, it involves our asset allocation team, and more recently, our responsible investment team, where they've been providing assistance on a responsible investment project to reset our RI compass. And is there also any sort of uh, secondment that goes on, like Bridgewater people that actually work inside New Zealand Super or New Zealand Super people go to work at Bridgewater? Is, is that also what you do as part of some of these relationships? We have probably only a handful of, of secondments um, that have taken place over the last few years. And obviously, you know, we haven't really been giving that a lot of thought in the last 15 months or so. But an example is... I actually did one myself with it with another colleague from our investment analysis team. Spent a week up in KKR's Houston office learning about the energy sector there. We've had a couple that have gone up to people gone up to Connecticut to another manager in that area, AQR, and spent time really understanding, getting a, gaining a much deeper understanding of the mandates that we're invested in, but also getting an, an insight into the culture of these organisations. Right, they're very long term partnerships. It's really important for us to to maintain, you know, conviction in the manager over time and getting inside and understanding the culture and understanding, you know, the way things tick is, is extra insight as well as the, um, you know, just how they manage the, our money. Is it fair to say that most of these manager relationships are external to New Zealand? We do have um, some exposure within New Zealand. So we have what we call our growth capital opportunity. 
So this is uh, growth equity. We believe that it's an enduring opportunity where managers can, can add value. So we have a handful of managers in that space. It's an exception to our usual um, desire for scale um, because obviously the fund sizes for those managers are quite small. So allocations are, you know, are much smaller than what we would like. But it is part of our New Zealand directive that from the government to invest uh, where we can in New Zealand, where we and we want to do that, where we see opportunity. We also have a couple of active New Zealand equity mandates, and that's also an exception because all of our global equity manage, uh, managers is um, passive managers. New Zealand is the exception where we believe the market, uh, the is op- you know characteristics of the market is conducive to generating alpha. Mm-hmm. Let's maybe then dig into the co-investment programs. Uh, that's obviously slightly different. Uh, can you give a bit more context of your, of your experience um, there? Sure. I mean, co-investment is an increasing focus for us. Uh, we do we have relatively limited experience to date. We have got an investment, a co-investment with a data center manager, CIM, in the US. So this was our, our first example, I guess, of thinking about, you know, to try and achieve scale, the portfolio, the mandate that we negotiated with that manager was smaller than we desired but we had a conversation with them at the time is how can we uh, get that scale increase scale over time through co-investment so we were very clear with our intention and also worked with our legal and tax teams internally to make sure we had the structure set up that we could we could be efficient with the way we um, reacted to any new opportunities that came our way Uh, we have an an example with one of our growth capital managers um, here in New Zealand and that was an example where uh, a member of our direct team had, um, you know, the asset uh, experience. So that was a collaborative work between our direct team and and a member of my team, and was of a you know relatively small scale, but just builds that partnership stronger. So we have set up a new real estate uh, strategy. So that's where um, we've actually just appointed last week a new value add manager up in Europe, and we spend a lot of time agreeing principles of co-investment. So I think what's really important is we will only co-invest alongside a manager where we have high conviction. There's also the expectation that we will have exposure to that same um, investment through an underlying fund investment. So it's really just about having a clear discussion up front with the manager during the implementation phase to understand what their co-investment strategy is, uh, the ticket size, fees, uh, what the current LP base, it's really important. It's valuable for us if we are investing alongside trusted peer funds um, and also understanding the turnaround periods required so that we can uh, make sure our internal process you know, can work quickly enough. So our legal and tax teams are involved very early on uh, and there's typically no, no need to work through other investment uh, parameters like reassessing the proxy or hurdle for any um, investment because the investment, co-investment would be in line with the fund's investment risk profile. There's also no need to do an operational risk assessment, again, because we have conviction in the manager, ongoing conviction, so we're comfortable that they are running their processes um, in, a, in a satisfactory way. I'm curious, you know, when you start to go through the process of trying to work out who you're going to co-invest with or who your partners are, you know, what does that process look like? How do you work it, you know, that through your team? Um, and more broader with inside the organization? Yes, yeah, so it's my within my team when we identify a manager and then we co-invest alongside the manager, that process differs uh, from our direct team who are spending time 
forming partnerships with their counterparts and peer funds around the world, like CDPQ, Ontario Teachers, uh, even Future Fund, understanding where we've got uh, common areas of interest and potential to co-invest together. And that's a much more detailed, you know, working together, working out who's going to bring what to the, to the co-invest. Whereas the model within the external investments and partnerships team, I see it as a lot more straightforward. Uh, where we're identifying the manager initially, typically investing in their fund or, or creating a, a separate mandate with them, but then having the intentionality at the beginning to build scale through co-investing on fund, on investments that will also sit within the fund. So the actual skills that are required, I think, you know, I have that skill set um, within my team, but there will certainly be instances we have a collaborative work uh, culture at the fund. And so if there's sector expertise or any special, special structuring that's required, I would then just bring in a member of the direct team to, you know, to help us with that. Now, is New Zealand super open to putting, you know, people on the ground around the world, or is it just going to potentially just be in New Zealand and then use some of these external uh, managers to help get the, the, the global exposure? We have discussed this one uh, quite often over the years, and it always comes back to culture. So we are one, one organisation, one fund based here in Auckland. We have thought, you know, if we were to open up an international office, where would it be? Would we go to Asia, to Europe, the US? We're investing around the world, so we'd need to have multiple offices to be in the, in the places where we're doing our investments. So it does fall back at this stage in terms of, you know, just relying on investment partners. So really having, a, you know, a targeted partnership approach where we can form, you know, very strong relationships with external managers and invest, you know, with them in the long, to the, in the long term and trying to keep that stable of managers to a reasonable size that we can just, you know, we can manage um, with, a, with a, you know, the size of team that we have here. Well, I guess one of the benefits that's come out of COVID is the ability to do a lot of remote calls, remote due diligence, um, speak to different people quite easily without having to travel. New Zealand is quite a fair way from most parts of the world besides Australia. Um, I'm curious to get a feel in terms of how this due diligence process has worked during COVID, the last almost 18 months now. We have certainly learned a lot over that time. I guess not in the in the initial couple of months while we're working, you know, through the the market activity. But we have actually appointed five new managers, um, you know, since orders have closed, and you know, it's really just um, taught us that we can do a lot via Zoom. I guess there are some observations that we've made to make us really focused to get the right information we want when we're having these diligence calls. And we, you know, we really need to be very prepared to be clear on what we want to get. It's quite, you know, the, a manager is, um, I guess a Zoom call is quite structured. The managers are quite structured in presenting an investment. So we need to be comfortable interrupting them, disturbing the flow of their pitch and, you know, dig deep and to ask questions that we really want to understand. And you need to be proactive about this because it's not so easy to do that over Zoom. It's much easier to do in person. We've also found that, or learned after the first time, that it's useful to communicate up front to the manager what our due diligence process involves, because doing you know, that diligence via Zoom can often be a longer process, um, and they need to be prepared at their end um, to be able to meet our, our expectations. We're also finding we're needing to do a lot more follow-up um, and clarifying points so in Zoom, you know, I guess we're, you know, finding that it's difficult to get the full answer the first time. So there does seem to be a lot more back and forth. And it's not just limited to calls. I mean, I think 
you know, how I'm feeling at the moment is, um, you know, we're not going to be traveling anytime soon. These relationships, we do need to manage them, um, you know, remotely. And we want to understand, you know, if a manager is, you know, can respond to our requests in a timely manner. You know, it's just a really good way to think through longer term about how the, that relationship will work. I guess there's differences also between our, you know, large established managers. And, you know, it's easier to do that. We can rely on peer funds and reference calls. But for small, newer managers, um, we've done a, a couple of those as well. And we've just had to be a lot more thoughtful around how we approach it. So one, one thing that was really different is that we've done deeper third-party background checks um, on the principles. And we also think it's much more important to get multiple perspectives. So not just talking to, you know, former investors, but talking to service providers. We even had an instance where an incumbent manager had um, had dealt with the prospective manager so we, they could give us some insights. So really looking at any, any ways that we can gain additional insight by leveraging our, our network is important. I'm curious around how does that change potentially once the borders reopen, what, what will it look like for New Zealand super? You know, will this become like a de facto part of the system for due diligence to, to do these Zoom calls, at least in the first instance, to try and reduce the amount of cost and travel? I actually think, you know, we've learned that we can do a lot via Zoom. I mean, my current thinking is that we won't need to travel as much as we did. Uh, I personally had quite an intense period of work between October 2019 and March um, 2020 when the borders closed. So I'm per- I'm not actually missing the travel that much myself. We would travel, members of my team would travel roughly three, four, five times a year. But if we were appointing a new manager, we would meet them at least two times before we appointed them. So I imagine that a lot of that initial work can be done via Zoom. And though I place a lot of importance on face-to-face interaction, I think that can be later, later stage and just before we sign the cheque, uh, before we commit the capital. So I, I expect that we would roughly half the travel that we previously did. And this is, that's going to be a good thing for our carbon footprint as well. Mm-hmm. Final question, uh, what, what are you looking for next you know, in terms of new uh, external investments to make? Is there any other specific areas that you guys are looking to, to target in on? We have uh, well three real uh, key areas at the moment. So I touched on real estate, but we have we have recently brought on specialist advisors for real estate and infrastructure, and taken those strategies, new strategies through the board. So they are now both in implementation stage. They are both opportunities are below target. So the active exposure we have is below what we want to have. So there's quite a lot of activity in both of those areas. And the climate change search has also been is also a, a you know increased focus. It's been part of our climate change investment strategy that we announced back in 2016. It's been hard to find you know investments that meet our risk return risk return criteria. I think that there are more options. There are as that's an area where we may have to invest smaller, um, experiment a little bit. You know, accept that we'll in, invest smaller check sizes to to learn. But that's a you know, a growing importance for us as well. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about what specifically are you looking for? Are these specific climate strategies? Are they climate transition strategies? You know, can you give a bit more context on that? Well, we do. We've got our renewable investment platforms in, in Europe and in the US, and they've been, well, the US one in particular has been a successful investment for us. We would love to get, you know, more, you know re- replicate that around the world and get more investments we have looked in, in Asia uh, recently, 
um, but just couldn't quite find the, the management team that we needed. But it's an area that we would, would look at as well. We've been looking at a Climatech fund, and that's specifically one that, that may be a smaller, smaller investment for us. But certainly anything that's going to um, to assist with that transition, you know, more broadly. All right. That's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much for your time today, Dell. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.